This is what Christmas is all about. God himself becoming the lowest, stepping down from his mighty throne and being humbled to take on flesh, to be not only God with us, but to be God for us, among us, one of us, to be a God in the flesh that when our soul rejoices in him, when our spirit finds joy in who he is, we can find joy in a God who takes the most humble and the most broken and the smallest of things does something incredible with them. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this last Sunday in Advent, which, surprise, that means that Christmas is just around the corner. You ready for it yet? I'm so glad to be here this morning. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. And for those of you joining us online, thank you. We are glad that in this weird year of 2020, we can gather both in person and online, whether it's today or on Christmas Eve, however we gather, we can do so in a way that's centered not in our efforts and our works and not even in the weariness of this year but in our God who loves us, who fills us with hope and peace and joy every day. In this season, we have been in this series called A Weary World Rejoices. Do you feel that this year? Like this weary world, heavy and laden with burden, this weary world that weighs down on our shoulders as there's unknowns in the air and there's all kinds of crazy thoughts swirling. What's next and where do we go from here as it seems one thing after another keeps piling on? A weary world, tired and exhausted and ready to throw in the towel. And yet we rejoice How can you and I rejoice when we seem to be at our end? When everything is falling apart? We began this series a couple weeks ago looking at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, an elderly couple who were righteous and godly in every way. And yet it says very clearly they were barren. A sign that something for them in their life had gone wrong. They were filled with shame at the fact that they had no children and they were too old to have children. And God miraculously breaks in and an angel shows up and speaks. says, you will conceive. You will have a child. His name shall be John and he will prepare the way for the coming of the king. 
overwhelmed and excited and a little bit afraid. They keep this secret, but they rejoice. Then last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about the next story that happens in the book of Luke. Another announcement of a birth. This time, it's not an elderly couple, but rather a very young woman. A woman not yet even married, not yet in a place where she should be having kids, not yet in a place where this promise could be fulfilled in any sort of natural way. And an angel appears to her and turns her world upside down. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be Jesus. How can this be? For I have not yet been with a man by the Holy Spirit. And there Mary rejoices when her whole world is turned upside down and things seem to be the most confusing they've ever been before. Let it be according to your word, God. Whatever you wish, so be it. And last week we departed from the story in Luke to look at Jeremiah. And this promise of a king who would come, a righteous one who would come and bring with him a salvation far better than even that in the Exodus. The pinnacle moment for the Jewish people. The one thing they looked back to and clung to. Their source of hope and strength, something better was coming that would replace that moment. And now today we're going to come back to the story in Luke. If you'd like to follow along, you can follow along. It's Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to get one on your phone. We think phones are not evil in this place. You can use one here. If you have a physical Bible, it's someplace in the beginning of the New Testament. It's the third book of the New Testament, so towards the second half. Luke chapter 1. As I mentioned, he begins with these two stories of women miraculously finding out they're going to have a child. And then at the end of, of Mary finding out she's going to have a child, she goes and she visits Elizabeth, her, her aunt. She goes and visits and sees that Elizabeth is also pregnant. And when we talked about that section, we ended with this reality that when Mary enters into the room, the very baby, now six months old in the womb that Elizabeth is pregnant with, leaps for joy is filled with this joy that the Lord would come to him. Now we live in an era that doesn't really celebrate a temple quite like they did. For the Jewish people, this was a really remarkable thing to be claimed by Luke. You see, for Luke to say that, that now God's presence would be felt and experienced any place other than the temple was completely contrary to the world they knew. For them, the temple was the one place God had promised to meet us. It was there you would go and you'd bring your gifts and you would sacrifice. It was there you would go and you would say your prayers and you would offer your tithes. And it was there you would go in the hopes that God would meet you in that place. But now, as we saw, God has come to an ordinary woman in her house no longer in that place. And after this moment, Mary is filled with such joy that she sings the first of a series of three hymns that happen here in Luke. She sings this song that throughout history has been known as Mary's Song. Here it is, we begin. 
And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. At this very promise that the baby, now three months in her womb, that this little child would be the Savior of the world, she rejoices. That God's presence is not only with her, but within her. She rejoices. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now I have to confess, as I was preparing for today, I've done a lot of avoiding of this little section in my life. And here's why I've avoided this song most of the time when I read scripture. Because in some Christian denominations, this little song has been taken and twisted to mean something about Mary that puts her up on this pedestal and makes her greater than everybody else. And that really makes me uncomfortable, so I just skipped over that because I didn't know what to do with it. And as I was preparing for today and I was reading this text that I just wasn't sure what to do with, a few things stood out to me. First and foremost is this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Language that in many ways echoes some of the Psalms that cry out in thanksgiving and praise. My soul magnifies God or rejoices in and celebrates in God. But there's something even better here. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, I think... First and foremost, I could be really tempted when something incredible is happening in my life, when something really good has been told is coming, when I'm on the verge of expecting something really great, I can be tempted to celebrate that, the thing, the gift, the experience I'm waiting for, the thing just around the corner. But Mary here, she doesn't say my soul rejoices for what my God has done. Or my soul rejoices for what he's giving. Or my soul rejoices for what's about to happen to me. No, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. If you and I want to find joy in this weary world, we have to begin there. Finding joy not in the things God does, not in the gifts we want from him, not in the ways we hope he blesses us, simply in who he is. He alone can bring you joy. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. She continues with giving the reason why she rejoices in this God, what he has done that she would celebrate. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. As I read scripture, uh, oftentimes what happens is things stand out to me, and I'm like, that doesn't feel like it fits. And that's what often for me is uh, the thing that causes me to say, I should press in and dive in and, and study a little more about this thing. And here, as she gives this reason for why God is worthy of being celebrated, of why she can rejoice in him, regardless of her situation, I notice something. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, and then it's immediately followed with, behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And it felt really weird as I was reading this to read it and put those two together. 
Here's what Mary's saying. Because of my humility and how humble I am, God is making it so that I will be blessed forever. Doesn't that feel almost opposite? Like one is not so humble? For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And as a result, everybody for all generations will call me blessed. This specifically is the verse that's often twisted into this idea that Mary in some capacity is worthy of our praise as well. And so trying to avoid that, I was, I was looking at what does this mean that she would be blessed? That everybody would say she's blessed. And something else came to me that I stumbled upon and found. If you flip a few chapters later in Luke chapter 11, there's these verses that happen here in this weird context. Jesus, he's, he's in the middle of being attacked and accused. He's doing miracles and people don't like it and they begin to say, you're doing this because of the devil. You're a son of the devil. It is the devil who's doing this incredible stuff through you. And in the middle of this incident, a random woman in the crowd, whom we don't know, it just says a woman in the crowd. This is what happened. She, she cries out, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And I found these two together really interesting. Here Mary in her song of praise declares that generations to come will sing of just how blessed she is. And now 30 some years later, here's this random woman saying, truly your mother is blessed. And the breasts that nursed you, how, how blessed were they, this woman who could care for you. And here in the middle of this, Jesus on the one side of this statement is being attacked as the son of the devil. And on the following side of the statement, they cry out, give us a sign. If you are who you say you are, if you really are capable of doing what you say you can do, if any of this is true, give us a sign. And the only sign he gives is he warns them that they will have the sign of Jonah. Jonah who spent three days in the tomb or in darkness in the belly of a great fish. The sign of Jonah that Jesus would be spending three days in the tomb in great darkness. And in the middle of this, a random woman cries out, truly you or your mother, your mother is blessed because of you. And Jesus, he takes that one step further. This is Jesus' response. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, more important than the blessing Mary has as being unique the blessing she has in having this privilege to be the mother of God who bears him in the flesh. Better than that is the blessing for those who hear God's word and keep it. And I found that really interesting here in connection with what Mary says. In this song, she's praising God and giving thanks. He looked on my humble estate. From now on, all generations shall call me blessed. And not 30 years later, a random stranger saying, you are blessed. And Jesus says, no, actually, let me tell you. Those who hear my word and keep it, they are the ones who are blessed. This song continues. And we see this theme of the, the two opposites, the humility and the blessedness. The, these two things that seem at odds 
continue to play out. Here's what happens next. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In this song that she's singing, she begins to spell out the greatness of this God she praises. And what is it that he's doing over and over and over again? His mercies for those who fear him. Now, we often think about fear in this context of like horror flicks, right? Terrified that you're about to die. God is mean and angry and judgmental and he's coming for me. But throughout the whole Old Testament, the language of fearing God conveys a sense of trust, a sense of love, recognizing that God is infinitely greater than anything you may be facing. And because he's greater, we can come before him with reverence, the sense of recognizing you are filled with awe and wonder and and you alone are worthy of praise and trust and hope. And you alone are the source of our love. So for those who fear him, that's not those who live afraid he's angry and mean and coming to judge. But those who see the depth of his love, the greatness of his care, the tenderness of his compassion, the mercy with which he extends, those people who see that. These are the ones who fear him. He's shown the strength with his arm Language used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's power and might coming for the salvation of his people. The strength of his his arm, he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is Mary's song. My humble estate, God has looked upon it. And because he's looked upon my humble estate, I will be blessed. And then she goes on and she describes all of these ways in which God does the exact opposite of what we would expect. He takes those who are mighty and lifted high and he tears them down. And those who are low, he builds up. Those who are hungry, he feeds. And those who have everything go away empty. She describes in this song of thanksgiving this picture of exactly where you and I can find our joy. Our joy comes first and foremost in who he is, not in our situation. But then out of that it comes and what he does and the thing that he does is take that which makes the least sense. That which is the lowest and the most broken. That which is the most desperately in need of somebody else to intervene. And he takes that and he builds it up. And out of that humility and that brokenness and that despair, out of that place comes something great. And throughout the entire rest of this gospel of Luke, we see this theme over and over and over again. God's mercy comes 
for those who are lowest. God's mercy comes for those who are the most broken. God's power is shown not through people you would expect who have it all together, but through those who are the most broken. That's where God's power is found. And Mary, she sings this song. She begins saying that every generation will declare her blessed. And she ends with this reminder. Just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In this poetic sense, there's this pairing here of all generations should be blessed just as he's promised from the beginning of time. But what we see in that Luke 11 chapter that we looked at earlier, the very people, the descendants of Abraham, the offspring of this promise are the ones who do not understand what it means that he would take the humble, the lowly, and the broken and build it up. And they cry out against Jesus, you cannot be the one we're looking for. You cannot be the one we've been hoping for. You cannot be the one that we've been long expecting because you don't fit this picture of who we thought our God should be. This is what Christmas is all about. God himself becoming the lowest, stepping down from his mighty throne and being humbled to take on flesh, to be not only God with us, but to be God for us, among us, one of us, to be a God in the flesh that when our soul rejoices in him, when our spirit finds joy in who he is, We can find joy in a God who takes the most humble and the most broken and the smallest of things and does something incredible with them. So today, if you're here and your life isn't what you hoped for, and if 2020 is not where you were wanting it to be, and you're wondering where are you in all of this, he's in the lowly things the broken things, the hurting things. And so you and I, we can rejoice in him because whatever we're going through now, he's been there too. Whatever we might see next, he's seen it already. And our hope is not in today, but in a God who's greater than yesterday, who's greater than today, who's greater than tomorrow, who has come to be a lowly servant for you and I. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are a good Father. God, we rejoice with Mary in this song. We pray that our souls would magnify you, that you would be made more as we are made less, that we would celebrate your mercy, that we would celebrate that you come in the broken things, in the humble things, in the lowly things, and you build them up. God, let us be a people not looking for you in the grandiose experience, in the wonderful moment, in the magnificent things we can accomplish. God, let us be a people who look for you in the least of these, in our pain, in our humility, in our brokenness. May we rejoice. For you are a God who loves, a God who's with us, and a God who's for us.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we had so many questions and they were so awesome and they're all available on Facebook right now. It's called The Point Knox. Follow us there, scroll down a little bit. And this guy addressed all of the questions we were unable to get to last weekend. While you're pulling these up, one of my favorite Christmas traditions we actually get to do this year. Um, I love on Christmas Eve the candlelight part where we all have candles and you just get to look around and see the room filled with fire. That's awesome. Um, But you can't do that in a movie theater and we get to do that here. So we've been planning on how do we do that safely and wisely and I'm excited for that tradition. So join us uh, this coming Thursday. It'll be cool. Yeah. All right. We have a handful of questions this week. We can get to all of them. I feel good about it. Um, First, just a comment. Genesis 22, if you were here at the very beginning, I, um, I had a fumble. <laughs> Surprise, my first one. Um, <laughs> but it said, Genesis 22 is the testing of Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. Absolutely a spirit-led slip since it goes perfectly with John 3.16. Awesome. The next thing, the next question we have is, I don't think the Bible says anything about this. But do you think Mary had any righteous indignation towards being the one chosen to carry the Christ? I'm sure she felt so many things apart from being blessed. Ooh. Uh, I won't spend too much time speculating on things that we just simply don't know. Mary was certainly human, so I can imagine there were times when this promise felt so foreign and frustrating and like, why me, God? Uh, I don't know for sure. There's no indication, but... We do see that Mary shows up later and clearly knows who he is because the first miracle Jesus does, Mary comes and like, hey, Jesus, we don't have any wine. Can you give us a bunch to drink? And he's like, woman, don't you know it's not yet my time? And so she clearly has some indication of who he is and what he's capable of and also uh, doesn't always get it quite right. So that's the best I can give you. All right, next question. Um, These last two are pretty practical. Um, will either Christmas Eve service be on live stream or Facebook Live? Yes. The 4.30 service will be on live stream. And Facebook Live. And Facebook Live. So, both and. Yeah. And finally, will there be a service on December 27th? Last year, all those who served kind of got the day off. Yes. So, last year, we took the 27th off to just rest and connect with our neighbors and go out to brunch. This year, we will be gathering in person next week on Sunday, so you're welcome to join us. But we also wanted to give some volunteers uh, a day off. And so, for those of you joining us on live stream, it will look different for you, but we'll have something for you as well. And for those of you joining us in person, it will also look a little different, um, but it'll be a great time to gather and end this year together as a church family. Absolutely. Those are it. Awesome. Thank you guys for no really tough ones that left me stumped today. I appreciate that break. Uh, as you go this week, uh, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 